0: Once more, we would like to welcome Dr. Jones and to begin this chat, this, uh, chat for this month. Doctor, if you would like to begin. Good,
1: Good afternoon, everyone. happy to be here today to talk to you and answer questions about a specific area of interest and expertise for me, African-American families with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. First, I wanted to uh, start by going over a little bit about what we know from the research about African American children in ADHD. And so you may ask, well, how much do we know about, about kids in this population in attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Well, we know a bit. We know some. Next slide, please. And most of what we know is from the multimodal treatment study for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or the MTA. This has been the largest study. Last largest research studies thus far on kids with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and treatment for these children. 579 children across the United States and Canada with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ages 7 to 10 went through one of four different treatment arms. And medication was one of the arms, behavioral intervention only was one of the arms, combined medication and behavioral intervention like behavioral parent training, a very behaviorally oriented summer camp, uh, behavioral health in the school, uh, also composed that combined treatment. And then community care, treatment as usual, as families would normally get it, was the last intervention, the fourth intervention. So what we know from the MTA, there have been tons of studies that have come out this far. The study is more than 10 years old. Uh, what we know from the MTA is that there were not a lot of differences between the African-American families and the Caucasian families who went through this study. For instance, we didn't see differences in how satisfied African-American and Caucasian parents were with the treatment. We didn't see significant differences in attendance, going to sessions with the pediatrician, going to sessions, behavioral sessions that they had. All ethnicities preferred the treatments that contained a behavioral component. They liked the treatments that had them going in and talking to someone on a daily basis, or on a weekly basis, excuse me, about their child, about their child's behavior. Some researchers before the MPA study had posited um, thought that there may be a difference in response rate to medication between African American children and Caucasian children. This large study showed that there was no difference in medication response rate between the two populations. We also did not see a difference in whether or not parents perceived their children to improve. The African-American parents who went through the MPA study see their children as improving to a similar degree as Caucasian parents. Where we did see differences, number one, we saw that ethnic minority children tended to benefit better in terms of symptoms after treatment if they were in the combined treatment arm of the study. So the kids who got medication and behavioral intervention, if they were ethnic minority children, they did better than the Caucasian children who were also in the combined treatment arm. Another key difference between African-American and Caucasian children I published on a couple years ago, we found that there were key racial and ethnic differences in parenting behavior before treatment. So in the literature, what we see is that Caucasian parents tend to use a lot of authoritative, what we would call authoritative parenting strategies. These strategies are characterized by high levels of structure for their children, Paired with high levels of warmth, a lot of praise, a lot of um, physical warmth with their children. This is very different than the type of parenting that we tend to see in African-American families. African-American families tend to use high levels of structure um, around their parenting of their children, but they tend to have very low levels of warmth. African-American parents usually tell me they're not the huggy-feely type of parents. Um, and that's indeed what we see in the literature too, what we see in research studies. So I found this too in the NPA data, that there were parenting differences between African-American and Caucasian parents before treatment, and then even after, in the NTA, all the parents were taught in the behavioral treatments were taught to use the same parenting strategies. Even after that, there were still key racial differences in parenting. What's important to know about the NTA is that it was a really, really wonderful study. It, it was the largest study of kids with ADHD that we've had to date, and we we're following children who were in that study out um, 10 years out now, almost 15 years out, but they were our gold standard treatment. So it's nearly impossible for people in the community to find um, 14 months of intensive behavioral intervention, where their child can get one-on-one therapy, where their child can go to summer camps, for kids with ADHD, where their child can get help in the classroom, where there's an aid that develops a behavior plan. So those treatments were very hard to get in the real world. And so while I love the NCTA studies and all the research that's coming out of that, it's important to realize that they are really what would happen if we could give everybody the best treatment possible. But it's not really indicative of oftentimes what families get in the real world. But what do we know? about African-American families and mental health in the real world. Well, actually, there's a lot more research on African-American families and mental health treatment and what African-American families think about ADHD. We know in the real world, African-American parents are less likely to go to a mental health clinician to treat their child's mental health difficulties, ADHD or otherwise, than Caucasian parents. We also know that African-American parents are more likely to drop out of treatment than Caucasian parents. We know that African-American families tend to use the public mental health system more often than private providers. And even when we consider socioeconomic disadvantage, when we consider um, education level, when we consider income level, we still have these same findings. We also have some research that has looked specifically at what African-American parents know about ADHD. So number one, we know that African-American parents are less likely to obtain information from their physician about ADHD. We aren't quite sure why this is. We aren't quite sure why pediatricians will be less likely to tell an African-American parent about ADHD than a Caucasian parent. Um, So the reason for that research finding has not been investigated yet, but we have found that in the literature. And, of course, the Surgeon General has said that If practitioners or physicians themselves don't know very much about ADHD or don't know what they can do to treat ADHD or maybe have not updated themselves on the most recent American Academy of Pediatrics 2011 um, practice parameters for treating ADHD, then obviously that's a barrier for families, that their pediatrician doesn't even know what they should be doing. Second of all, African American families are less likely to know someone who has actually gotten a diagnosis of ADHD than Caucasian families they're less likely to be able to identify ADHD symptoms. And African-American parents report having more false beliefs about ADHD than Caucasian parents. So uh, I work with parents quite often, African-American parents quite often, in my research and in my clinical work. And some of the thoughts that they've told me are pretty consistent with what we find in the literature, that children might, are, are supposed to grow out of ADHD. Adults don't have ADHD, children should grow out of ADHD that um, they restrict their child's diet or take out food additives to prevent ADHD symptoms, um, which is actually uh, not a consistent finding in the literature, and that ADHD is just a label for difficult children that the school system can't handle. Oftentimes, African-American families have very strong feelings about the schools with which they work, that their children attend, and hopefully they can answer some questions about how to operate back to school. There's also some mistrust of professionals. I mean, you know, in the United States, there's a long history of African Americans um, not always being treated the right way by organized systems. So there is this belief that, Af- that African American parents often report that African American children are more likely to be told they have ADHD than children from other races. That is actually false. African American children with ADHD are underdiagnosed. They are more likely to be missed more likely to be labeled just a behavior problem and not actually get the ADHD diagnosis and treatment for ADHD that they need. There's also the belief that African Americans often report that if a child is having learning or behavior problems, then a teacher is quick to label that child as having ADHD if the child is African American. We actually have seen um, a research study or two that has supported that belief of parents, that teachers themselves sometimes do not have accurate views of what ADHD looks like and may be more likely to quickly label a child having ADHD if that child is African-American, although I will note that teachers are not trained to diagnose mental health problems and should not be labeling children as having ADHD. African-American physicians are much more likely to see African-American families in Caucasian physicians. This is uh, tends to be a problem. Some parents I work with say, "Well, I won't go see a pediatrician unless I can also find an African American pediatrician, or I won't go find a, a go see a psychologist or take my child see a psychologist unless I can find an African American psychologist." Well, that's a problem because there just aren't that many of us out there, and I don't want children. I think other practitioners would say they don't want children to suffer. There are very confident physicians, very confident mental health professionals, of other races and ethnicities who can practice, who do practice confidently with African-American children. So part of the work that I do is making sure that African-Americans and Caucasian-Americans and people from other races are trained to be culturally competent providers. And then of course parents often report concerns about uh, the label of ADHD and what that label means following their child through school. So what can parents of an African American child do? I'm sure I'll talk about this more this afternoon, but here are just a couple of quick points around education and advocating. Number one, CHAD and the National Resource Center have so much information about ADHD. It's really important. I always tell parents that they need to be as educated as possible about the disorder. You know, I hate to hear parents sometimes still calling it ADD. We don't call it that anymore. I hate to hear physicians calling it that. Parents. Because it's not really the accurate label that we currently have. The label we currently have, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, we have three subtypes. The subtype of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, predominantly inattentive type, is what we used to call ADHD. So I always tell parents, educate yourselves about this disorder, how it's diagnosed, how it's treated, and how a child with ADHD may have different different difficulties as they go through the different years of school. So elementary age children with ADHD may have very different difficulties in the school setting than an adolescent in middle school or in high school with ADHD. The second main bullet point I have here is that parents have to be an advocate for their child. By educating them about disability law, about 504 plans, individualized education plans, they can become the best advocate. For their child at school. And always remember that you will catch more flies and catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. So schools can be very difficult to work with. I have attended many an individualized education plan meeting, also called child study team meeting, um, to advocate for children with ADHD. And and sometimes teachers are pretty frustrated and principals are pretty frustrated and parents are pretty frustrated. And so it's important that if you're trying to advocate for your child that you remember to be as polite and keep your temper and um, as objective in a situation as you possibly can given that you're talking about your child. Third, I always tell parents to try to connect with other parents with children with ADHD. It can be pretty stressful sometimes raising one child with ADHD, and oftentimes families have multiple children with ADHD that they're trying to raise. So it's nice sometimes to connect, and I know Chad has ways to do that with other parents who have children with ADHD. And then finally, relatedly, as I said, it's stressful sometimes to deal with all the different um, school issues and home issues and peer issues that may be popping up with a child with ADHD. So it's important for parents to have their own stress management strategies for how they take a break sometimes, take a deep breath sometimes, have somebody else to talk to so that they can do the best job they can in taking care of their child.
0: Our first question up today is uh, one that many parents hear when they first learn that their child's diagnosed. One of the first questions, and this is from Brittany, is does parenting cause ADHD? A lot of parents have heard you know, if they were just a better parent, their child wouldn't have ADHD. So does parenting cause ADHD? That's a
1: really good question. We know very certainly that parenting does not cause ADHD. Um, there is no way of parenting that your, chi- your child that will cause this particular disorder. We do know that in terms of heritability rates, ADHD does tend to run in families. So more often than not, if I'm doing an interview with a parent about their child's ADHD, they'll report they either have ADHD, or if they remember back, their brother had ADHD, or their grandmother had ADHD. Tends to run in families. Um, parenting itself does not cause ADHD. Our treatment for ADHD, one of our major treatments that is most supported by the literature, however, is behavioral parent training, and that is a treatment that really teaches parents the best strategies to try to ensure their child's success. Strategies have to do with giving commands in a specific way to children or instructions in a specific way to children, Um, giving rewards and praising children in a very specific way, ignoring um, mild inappropriate behaviors uh, like fidgeting, um, et cetera. So the treatment, one of the main treatments for ADHD is behavioral parent training. And so we do teach parents and teach teachers to use strategies that we know are most effective for children at home and in the classroom, but parenting itself does not cause ADHD.
0: Our next question up is from Angela, and her question is one, again, that many parents have. How do you get your school district to provide more help for your child with ADHD? That's
1: good. Good question. So how do you get your school district to provide more help for your child with ADHD? Well, first of all, I would tell parents to always keep records. If teachers are sending home notes about your child's them. if um, your your children's papers that may come home with, uh, this was disorganized, or um, skipped these questions, and or forgot to write his name. keep all of those. Those are evidence. that is evidence um, to help build the case for the need for school intervention. And there are a couple of primary ways that the school intervenes or can intervene with kids with ADHD. The first kind of lower level intervention, and I know Chad has information, more information about this on their website, is a 504 plan. The nice thing about 504 plans is that they can be developed very informally maybe a school counselor, the teacher, Uh, sometimes the principal is involved, but they don't have to be involved. It is really an informal set of accommodations that we know are helpful for kids with ADHD that your particular child might benefit from. So sitting in the front of the class near the teacher, Um, not sitting near the window, not sitting near the door, Um, having directions read to them more than once, Um, getting verbal prompts, to see if they're on task as well as physical prompts. Sometimes we'll talk to teachers about going up to a child's ADHD and tapping on the paper on their desk as a physical prompt to stay on task or to get back on task, as the case may be. Um, so a 504 plan can contain a lot of those more informal accommodations. The downside to a 504 plan is that schools are not legally required to do within a 504 plan. Um, So sometimes it'll pass on from teacher to teacher, and one teacher may do the suggestions in the 504 plan, and another teacher may not. But 504 plans are often used for children with ADHD who are having um, a few difficulties at school to maybe a medium level of difficulty at school. For kids who are having a lot of difficulty at school related to their ADHD or other problems, sometimes parents can make the case for an individualized education plan. This is... Um, and also called an IEP. IEPs have a lot of rules that govern them, and once they are developed for a child, schools are legally bound to follow what's in the IEP. So IEPs are a lot of work. They invo- involve a very big evaluation by the school district. Um, they involve child these child study team meetings or team meetings between the person who did the testing in the first place, the teachers, the principal, the parents. Uh, to set in place the recommendations and how those, those recommendations are going to be monitored over time and how the school is going to judge whether or not a child is making progress. So those are the two main ways that schools can intervene for a child with ADHD. I always recommend to parents, if you think your, your child is having a lot of trouble that's related to ADHD, they're failing, you're getting phone calls every day, that they're disrupting other kids and you need to come pick them up, you should send a written letter, never just request orally, you should always send a written letter requesting that your child be evaluated um, for an individualized education plan. And that letter should go either to – some parents the first send it to the school district itself, um, you can also send it to the principal of the school requesting a child study team evaluation or an evaluation for an individualized education plan. And in that letter, parents should always document what what their reasoning is for that. It can't just be, oh, my child's failing. It needs to be, I have this evidence from the teacher, the teacher is sending this home, these are the comments that are on the report card, can't distill, is having trouble um, retaining information. I will say it's harder to get an IEP children with ADhD if ADHD is the only problem that they're having it is It can be more difficult for a parent to get that particular intervention for their kids in the school if ADhD is the only difficulty that the child is having. Next question, please
0: Thank you, we have a question from Carol, and she asks, how does a child in poverty get properly diagnosed with ADHD in this uh, economy, especially, many parents are dealing with insurance issues where they might not have the insurance or may not have the financial resources. So what do you suggest for them?
1: That's a good question. So um, for parents who cannot go, uh, you know, an evaluation from someone like me from a psycho- psychologist can cost a lot of money, a $1,000 plus for an, uh, an evaluation for ADHD. However, pediatricians can diagnose ADHD. So Dr. Joshua Langberg and I, who co direct the Center for ADHD here at Virginia Commonwealth University, just gave what we did grand rounds, giving a talk to area pediatricians in the Richmond City area about these updates to the American Academy of Pediatrics practice parameters for ADHD. Because ADHD is so prevalent relative to other psychological disorders, there are a lot of children with ADHD, at least one child in every classroom, pediatricians need to be ready for that. And so the American Academy of Pediatrics has really stepped up in this regard and told its pediatricians when they're getting licensed, you need to be ready to diagnose ADHD, and here's how you do it. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has done a great job working with mental health professionals um, to design questionnaires. Some of the parents that are listening right now might have seen the Vanderbilt questionnaires that were designed. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, also called the NICHQ. They may have filled these out, these questionnaires, these waiting forms. So pediatricians can diagnose ADHD and they should feel comfortable diagnosing ADHD. So for those parents who cannot afford a huge psychological evaluation for ADHD, you can take your child to your pediatrician and say, these are the behaviors that I have seen at home. These are the behaviors that the teacher is reporting. I think um, I'd like you to evaluate my child for ADHD. At that point, if the pediatrician is following the guidelines from, from their association, from the American Academy of Pediatrics, they should give you a Vanderbilt or some other um, questionnaire that, that will ask about symptoms, and they should probably also give you or fast one themselves to the teacher. They'll either give one to you to take to the teacher or they'll fast one to the teacher themselves. And so when those questionnaires come back, the pediatrician, a primary care physician can make a diagnosis based on um, what has been filled out on this questionnaire. Next question, please.
0: Okay. Well, another question we have from Joanne is: Are there any treatments? Are there any alternative treatments for ADHD that are just as effective as medication? And also, she asks: Can medication change their personality?
1: Okay, so that's a good question. Uh, You might have to remind me of the second one. Let me take the first one first. So treatments for ADHD, Uh, right now in the literature, we have three evidence-based treatments for ADHD, or what we call empirically supported treatments for ADHD, the treatments that have the most research support. Those are the treatments that were studied in the NPA. Those include stimulant medication. They include behavioral interventions, so the behavioral parent training I talked about and behavioral interventions at school and the school setting setting up something like a daily report card, for example, between the teacher and the parent. And the combined treatment of using both of those strategies are the only treatments right now that have empirical support, the most evidence-based for treating kids with ADHD. Now, that said, there are some promising treatments that are building research-based, but they aren't to the point yet where I, as a a professional, the licensed psychologist, would tell parents to try this first line out of the gate. I will always first line out of the gate, point parents so I know, to what I know works best. Just like if a kid, um, a kid who had diabetes or a child had asthma, you would want their physician to point you to the, first to the, the, the medication that has the most research support behind it. That's always what I do. I'll point parents to talk to their doctor, prescribing physician about stimulant medication if they're interested in that, or to talk to me or another mental health professional about behavioral interventions at home and school That said, Um, There's some new research that's starting to come out on uh, neurofeedback or biofeedback, which is uh, a way of kind of training the child to be aware of what it means to pay attention and and their own bodily um, sensations around paying attention. Um, There's some new research coming out on on cognitive therapies um, and organizational skills planning for kids. Uh, we've had a lot of research on social skills training for children with ADHD. Unfortunately, it's not that strong. So as you may know, children with ADHD oftentimes have trouble getting along with other kids, and those kids may label them for a very long time as the difficult child We you don't want to play with that child, et cetera. Um, we don't have good interventions just yet for social skills training for kids with ADHD. And then um, the second part of that question was about whether medication changes personality. Medication for children with ADHD, if it's if it dosed right and the correct medication should not change their personality. That is not um, a common side effect of the medications, As you probably know, the common side effects of the medications are um, stomach ache or not being hungry and trouble sleeping at night. Those are the, those are the two most common. Um, so personality change really is not common common side effects of medications and if um, I were working with a family who who thought their child's personality has changed, they seem like a different child um, in terms of their personality and what is core to them, um, I would probably talk to that family about about try to suggest that family talk to their prescribing physician about the medication. And if their parents ever have concerns about the medication, they should always talk to the prescribing physician. Just a Thank you.
0: Along the lines of behavioral management, Matthew asks, how effective is ADHD coaching for children and specifically for adolescents and young adults?
1: That's a good question, Matthew. It's a, the question is about ADHD coaching. ADHD coaching is a really general term. It is kind of generic. It is not a formal term that we use um, academically in research or that we study. Uh, so ADHD coaching really could mean anything depending on who's, program, coaching program it is, I can tell you that the most effective treatment for working with children um, with ADHD involves behavioral parent training, so teaching parents to act differently with their kids and school interventions. And school interventions are again behavioral in nature. Very specifically working with teachers to identify what are the biggest problems at school. And make teachers be specific. I always call parents, the teacher will say, Oh well he just you know, he just um, He isn't completing his work. Well, what do you mean he isn't completing his work? Is he starting his work and it doesn't finish? Is he completing it and it's wrong? Is he not putting his name on his work? Is he skipping items? What does not completing work mean? And is it only in in math class or is it math and social studies and science, et cetera? Is it across the day? So I always tell parents, you have to be a detective. Pretend you're a detective and you are really investigating this, get as many details as possible because that's how the treatment is designed. So if it's only in math, then you only really need to intervene in math. Um, I'm constructing something like a daily report card, and if parents kind of Google daily report card or homeschool notes, they may find more information about this um, online if if it's not up on the chat or the NRCS website. But homeschool notes are very specific behaviors that the teacher monitors during the school day. Checks off whether or not a child has met their behavior goal for that day, and sends that note home with the child, where the parent then rewards the child based on whether the child got that done. So if the ADHD coaching is related to that, and and, um, then I would say that's evidence-based treatment. With adolescents, treatment can look a bit differently because obviously adolescents have a lot more independence over their behavior at school and at home. So with adolescents. We work on a bit organizational planning. So, you know, if you, if you take an adolescent with ADHD, oftentimes they open up their notebook and papers are flying out. Some papers are in upside down, they're in different – they're in the wrong sections of their binder. You work with the adolescent on learning what it is to be organized and perhaps um, all the items, the books, the binders, the folders for a particular subject are one color. So. Their math book is covered in math and red paper, has red folders for their math handouts, and they have a red binder for math. And they know that when kind of good to go to math class, they grab everything red. So organizational planning, if, if ADHD coaching, if the ADHD coach says that they're going to use strategies like that, these very behavioral strategies that, that should change a child's behavior, um, then I would say that's evidence-based. What we know very clearly is that if you take a child with ADHD and you say to them, Um, Okay, today was a rough day. You're going to do better tomorrow, right? What are you going to do? They'll tell you everything they're supposed to do. Because don't have a problem of knowledge, they they tend to know what they're supposed to do. It's hard for them to actually do the action of doing it. They either forget or they're they're disorganized and they get overwhelmed or they're, um, they're hyperactive and they can't sit still. They know they're supposed to sit still. It's just too difficult for them to do that. So I guess with ADHD coaching, with parents who are investing ADHD coaches for their child, I would always recommend to the parents that you really get very specific um, ideas and, and plans from that ADHD coach about what they're going to do. And if the ADHD coach talks to parents and, they, and nothing they mention involves getting the parents involved, then I would say there's a problem there. Because even with adolescents, parents need to be involved. They need to be involved in rewarding the child. They need to be involved in checking up on the the child or adolescent to make sure that their binder is is organized. Oh, great job. I see that you put your math um, homework in your math folder today. I mean, children and adolescents need that type of reinforcement. So all ADHD coaching, even if, if there are organizational strategies that are being taught to the adolescent, ADHD coaches also need to work with the parents. I hope that answers your question. Next question, please.
0: Wonderful, thank you. We have a question from Adisa. And he asks, can you recommend any resource that can help me explain ADHD to my child? I think this is a question a lot of parents have.
1: That's a good question. There are a few books out there. I don't know them off the top of my head. But if you go to the library, actually, I've seen a few at the library. If you go to the library, you can do an Amazon search, or um, I forget which one, well, it's Borders or, or Barnes Noble, but go not know one that isn't bankrupt. And you can check on um, – there tend to be books that are written in a very child-friendly way about kiddos who are, are either late to class or have trouble remembering everything every and different school or don't remember to bring everything home. And there's some very child-friendly ways to talk about ADHD. And that said, sometimes I work with parents who don't want their kiddos to know that they have ADHD, don't want them to talk about it, don't want me to talk about it with them. But I will tell you that children with ADHD tend to know they're different. They pick up very quickly on the fact that other kids finish work before they finish, or that other kids can pay attention to the teacher better than they can pay attention, or that other kids can sit still in their seats with their bottoms on their chairs and don't need to get up quite as often as they do. The kids with ADHD tend to know they're different, so oftentimes I will recommend that parents have to talk with their children um, about what ADHD is. And there are um, books at the library, books at bookstores, that you can go and get and, and read together with your child. Next question.
0: All right. We have a question that is actually shared by two parents, and I think a lot of parents do wonder. This one pertains to, AD, uh, I'm sorry, as to diet as a cause of ADHD. And Val writes, "I've heard that a healthy diet, such as one low in sugar but rich in lean proteins, helps to soothe the distracting symptoms that a child experiences. Have you seen any research that supports this?" And also, Sandra asks a similar question, asking, "Does diet and different components in it or not in it cause ADHD?"
1: That's a good question. So we know very clearly from the literature the diet doesn't cause ADHD. It is not does not play food intake does not play a causal role in whether or not children have this, this disorder. Um, that said, I oftentimes will have parents who said just what what these parents said, which is that I've heard the diet helps with kids with ADHD, or or I've removed sugar from my child's diet and they are a lot calmer than they were. Sugar has, and there has been research on this, a common effect on everyone. Sugar, too much of it, will make anyone hyperactive. Kids with ADHD may start with a higher level of hyperactivity, so their hyperactivity, their hyperorder to start with, and the sugar may increase that a bit. That said, removing sugar does not treat the ADHD. And what we would say to parents, what we always say to parents is that, you know, you want a healthy diet for any child. So for any child, we want children to have a healthy balance of, of vegetables and fruits and meats and grains, etc. Um, and so too much sugar in any child's diet is not healthy. But there has been research on whether eliminating sh- sugar treats ADHD, it does not, whether kids with ADHD have more of a reaction to sugar than kids without ADHD, they don't, so we know that very clearly. But I always tell parents that as long as you're trying what we know works for ADHD, if you also want to try something else like reducing the amount of sugar in your child's diet and the pediatrician is on board with that, knock yourself out. You know, because some parents will swear by that. Some parents will swear that They have um, eliminated sugar from their child's ADHD diet, and they think their child is a lot better because of that. The research doesn't support that per se, um, but that's not to say that individual children don't have individual sensitivity to sugar. So there may be something else going on with some of these kids that we do see a sugar reaction in, um, but it's not specific to ADHD itself diet and diet sugar don't cause ADHD, removing them don't treat ADHD. We know that
0: very clearly. It's so that is one that's on a lot of parents' minds. Another yes. question we have from <laughs> Debbie, and she is, yes. <laughs> Debbie is asking, could you further define behavioral treatment? If that is different from organizational skills, planning skills, or cognitive training, can you explain how and why? Yes.
1: So behavioral treatment, I'll talk about behavioral treatment at home first. Behavioral parent training um, tends to teach parents five different parenting strategies. One is the use of attending, um, and obviously we teach parents these skills over um, sessions and sessions, you know, hours and hours of intervention. So in the brief time we have here, I can't go too much into detail, but I know that Chad does have information on their website about more information about behavioral parent training if you want to know more. But behavioral parent training tends to teach parents five different skills, attending, which are these neutral comments about what a child's doing without being um, instructive to the child, without being uh, judgmental of the child. Um, Praising and using rewards. So we always tell parents that labeled praise is better than unlabeled praise. So good job is, is okay, and it's better than nothing, but good job putting your shoes on when I ask you to is a better way to praise your child. It's as specific as you can be with your or your rewards of behaviors, that increases the likelihood that you'll see those behaviors again. So we, in behavioral parent training, um, therapists work with parents to use labeled praise rather than unlabeled praise. And praise is difficult um, for parents. A lot of parents sometimes say, well, why do I need to praise something that my other children can already do? Or um, why do I need to create something that I expect them to be able to do, like listen to me the first time I say to do something? Well, you have to remember what the deficits are, what the problems are for kids with ADHD. They have trouble doing that. So if it's something they have trouble doing, because this is a brain-based disorder, really has characterized ADHD now as a brain-based disorder, um, then it's necessary to really give a lot of positive reinforcement to those behaviors that we know that are difficult for our kids. Also reviewed with parents and taught to parents during behavioral treatment is the skill of ignoring. So ignoring can be pretty difficult. And it's most often a skill that parents who have some hyperactive kids need to learn. So hyperactive kiddos um, are a lot of fun, but sometimes they very quickly can get on people's nerves. Sometimes they have a lot of stories to tell, and they want to tell you about everything that happened in school. And this is what I overheard, and did you know this, and did you know that? And they may be out on the street, telling family business. Um, And hyperactive kiddos fidget a lot. They're often out of their chair a lot. Um, When I work with teachers around the skills of ignorance, it's hard for teachers sometimes, I always tell them, you know, sometimes kids with ADHD sit halfway in their seats. They'll stand, they'll have, like, maybe a leg or a knee on their chair while they're doing their work. we see that quite often in the hyperactive kiddos with ADHD. If they're doing that and they're completing their work, just let it go. You can ignore that up-out-of-the-seat behavior if they're actually completing their work, because we know that work is usually difficult for kids with ADHD. The fourth skill that we usually teach parents during behavioral parent training is using effective commands. So briefly, using effective commands has to do with telling kids to do things, not asking things to do things. Asking um, implies that there's choice. And uh, half of kids with ADHD will also meet diagnostic criteria for oppositional defiance disorder or the more severe conduct disorder, both of which are characterized um, by – can be characterized by anger and trouble um, doing what they're supposed to do and following rules. And so um, by phrasing instructions rather than a question, you help maximize your chance that your child's going to So we work with parents around giving appropriate commands, not stringing together five commands. I want you to, it's time for school, so I want you to go upstairs and get your backpack. Also get your shoes. Come downstairs, put your shoes back on. Then I want you to get your coat out. So that's already too much for a child with ADHD. So we work with parents around um, using shorter commands. Um, there are some other, some other ways we work with parents around commands, but I know that we're limited by time. And then finally, the fifth skill that we usually teach parents during behavioral parent training is the appropriate use of punishment and timeout. So a lot of parents will say, I've tried timeout, it doesn't work for my kiddo. Well, I'll tell you right off the bat that if you're sending your, your child to their room for timeout, then, um, then we would guess, mental health professionals would, would guess why it's not working. So timeout should be a punishing experience. It's usually the last resort of punishment kiddos are going to their room, that, that tends not to be a punishment for most kids. Their room is an enjoyable place, um, and they'll go up to their room and they'll play, or they'll go up to their room and they'll take a nap, um, no, neither of which is punishing behavior, so we'll usually work with parents around the appropriate use and have the best use timeout. Now, um, organizational coaching can be behavioral if there are specific tasks um, that the, the organizational coach is working on with the child. So you know, it's very important, like I said, to be detected, parents need to be detected. identify what the struggles are for the child. So if a child isn't turning in their homework at the school, for example, there are a lot of different steps doing homework. Find out where the child is failing. So, for example, the first step in doing homework is making sure you've heard the teacher when they assign the homework. Do they have their assignment book to write homework in? Did they write down the homework? If the homework's written down, is it legible and is it accurate? Does the assignment book make it home? Do all of the sheets of paper needed for the homework, books of the book is needed for homework, also make it home? Does the child have a place to do homework at home? When they do homework at home, are there distractions? Is another child watching TV nearby? Etc. And then there's, there's the whole issue of homework making it back and turning the homework in. So when I tell, when parents tell me or teachers tell me, oh, this child isn't doing their homework on, I always have to investigate what that means. Where is the breakdown? So if an organizational skills expert is, is doing that type of investigation, what are the details of what's going on, then I would say that that is behavioral in nature. Where does the breakdown happen? Because sometimes, some kids will have trouble writing the homework down, some kids will have trouble bringing all the materials home for the homework. Some kids will do their homework and make it home. They do it and then somehow on the school bus, on the way to school, the homework never makes it the teacher. So it's important um, if you have an organizational skills coach um, or an ADHD coach working with your child, that you really find out um, how much investigation they're doing around where your child's specific where, where are the struggles for your particular child? I hope that's answered your question. Next question.
0: I think that does cover the question. All right. This is going to be our last question. And this is from Dawn. And Dawn says that her son was recently diagnosed with ADHD about six months ago. And she finds that African American parents are reluctant to openly discuss their own experiences. And And uh, she's wondering how to encourage other African-American parents to talk about this and if there are any groups for uh, African-American parents that they can discuss ADHD, either in their children or in their own lives.
1: That's a good question. I mean, I've heard that so many times from parents, African-American parents, that their child's been diagnosed with ADHD, but they can't talk about it with their mother because their mother doesn't believe in ADHD and kids didn't have ADHD when, they were, when she was little, et cetera, et cetera. They can't talk about it with their, with their church group because their church group just says to pray on it. So um, I have heard that struggle uh, many times from parents, and it's very frustrating. For me, I always tell parents, find another parent you can combine in. Find another parent that you trust and educate them. This is not a made-up disorder. I do a lot of educational studies about that. We did not make this up. It is not made up to stigmatize African-American children. In fact, Caucasian children are diagnosed much more with this disorder than African-American children. We miss a lot of African-American children um, who should be getting a diagnosis and getting help earlier than than they do. So that can be really frustrating. I don't know of any group, I wish there were groups for for African-American families with kids with ADHD, but I have, um, I have practiced in Philadelphia, I have practiced in Ohio, I have practiced in D.C., I'm now practicing in Richmond. I mean, those are mainly very big cities. I practice in Cincinnati. I don't know of any groups specifically for African-American parents with kids with ADHD, um, so I would say that if you can find Chad groups groups uh, for parents generally with ADHD, that's, that's probably the, the best support that you're going to get. Um aside from that, you know, I really put a lot of I put a lot of responsibility on researchers like myself. We can't just sit and do these research studies and not come back to the community and educate. And so a lot of what I do, I was just talking about this with my students yesterday, is a lot of what I do is service to the community, going out and giving talks. When I first moved to Richmond I did a talk for parks and recreation in the city. Parks and recreation, as you may know, um from doing a funny TV show on Thursday night, uh, they also run summer camps for kids, with, for kids, kids not necessarily with ADHD, but oftentimes they'll summer camps for kids with behavior problems or for kids who need something to do during the summer. So I went out and I did a talk for them around working with kids with ADHD. And so it's important for professionals like myself to do more education, do as much education in the community as we can so that the stigma is taken away from this disorder. You know, parents are so quick to get their children treatment if they have a medical disorder, if they have diabetes, if they have asthma. But parents in African-American families are so hesitant to get their child treated if they have a mental health disorder like ADHD, like depression, like anxiety. And so part of it, part of the responsibility, I I do agree, lies with parents and educating themselves and trying to educate others. But part of it, I, I absolutely take responsibility for myself and for other professionals that we need to get out more into the African-American community and and educate more in the community. And so hopefully that's a bit about what I'm trying to do today. Thank you for that question.
0: We want to thank you, doctor, for being with us today, and we would like to thank our participants for joining us. This has been a wonderful topic, a wonderful discussion. And to our participants, if you have any additional questions, you can visit us at the National Resource Center on ADHD at www.help4adhd.org, or call one of our health information specialists at 1-800-233-4050.